here. Welcome, everyone, to week two of our Christmas extravaganza. If you didn't listen to last week and you didn't do the Muppets Christmas Carol, please pause what please you're doing pause. and go back and do that so you can listen to us rave about Mrs. Piggy Kermit <laughs> Frog. Ms. I don't know if they ever yeah, got married. No, they didn't. And she would never change her last name. Never. <laughs> <laughs> Veronica Piggy. I don't know if that's her name, but Veronica suits her. Yeah, it really does. Um, but yes, we're back for part two of Herstory. On the rocks. On Christmas. Um, <laughs> on the Christmas. We usually talk about women from history and how they have nuance. But today, we are talking about Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol and how it has nuance. Yes. <laughs> Um, and let me tell you, it's really interesting because you said Miss Piggy's been on your list for years. Oh, yes. Donna Reed has been on my list for years because there's that whole Gilmore Girls episode about her. Listen, that damn Donna Reed. You just showed the pure difference between the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, absolutely have to cover Miss Piggy, a queen of sorts. And I'm like, Donna Reed, icon of television and <laughs> business entrepreneur. We have to cover her. Right. Um, but yes, yeah, so. I, this week, am covering Mary Hatch Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. So let's start off this Christmas special by asking you, what do you know about Mary Hatch Bailey? (laughs) Um, Okay, so she falls in love with a man who's going through a midlife crisis because of finances, which is uh, so relatable, very relatable, especially at that time when like Mm -hmm. women couldn't have jobs. Mm -hmm. And it was like the time in history where I'm like pretty sure it's set in like Great Depression style Mm -hmm. era. they fell in love as a young couple and he wanted to get the moon for her and keeps kind of falling short. And I think he's disappointed in himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is trying to be the benevolent wife mm-hmm. and is um, she, I think throughout the film, the vibe I get is like, why am I not enough? Like, why don't you love me? Even though like other things are bad. She didn't ever, I don't think she wanted the moon she wanted him yeah um so that's what i know about her and what i like about her well i would also like to ask when was the last time you watched it's a wonderful life last year last year okay i watched it with my girls for they hadn't we never deemed them really old enough to get it Mm -hmm. until they were like last year they were 11 and 12 and i Mm -hmm. thought that was right i have not watched it since i was a kid oh did you watch it for this Mm -hmm. oh my gosh you bulge your eyes out then because Life this changing. is the whole thing. I knew that I would. I've been avoiding this movie like the plague because it is such a personal movie for <laughs> my family. Yeah. Because my parents are the Baileys. And I think that of this generation, Casey and I are the Baileys. Okay. And that's like hard for me to like mm-hmm. deal with in my fucking head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. It's so emotional. Well, it is. It's it's so like the way that your dad is and the way that your partner is are so like they're so loving and mm-hmm. so giving. And they're like, I want to give you everything. Yeah. But this is what I have. Yeah. Yeah. Or I want to give you everything. And this is what I have. Yes. And meanwhile, like, you know, my mom and I are like, this is plenty. I just want you to be OK. Yeah. And I like, just want you to like. Be happy. Yes. Let's just like, let's just dance in front of the Christmas tree. That's mm-hmm. all I want. I just That's want somebody want. to like spontaneously <laughs> dance with me in front of the Christmas tree. So I, I haven't seen it in a long time because I knew this about myself. I knew this about my family. I know that like, also, 
this movie, I forgot how much history it covers because, mm-hmm. like, a friend of George Bailey's in the beginning dies of the Spanish influenza. Right. So and, like, that's what World killed my grandparents. Yeah. That's what killed my grandparents. Um, parents. Uh, my pa- my, yeah, my great-grandparents. And I it, it goes through the Great Depression, which my grandparents lived through as kids. And then it goes through, <laughs> like, World War One, World right. War Two. Like, it's all these things that, like, my grandparents went through. And uh, I don't know if you feel this way, but, like, the Baileys look exactly like Mama and Papa. Oh, sure. They look yes. exactly like my grandparents. And Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyways, so I'm going to talk about the movie, but really from the perspective of Mary Hatch Bailey, because she, when you focus on her in the movie, like she really blew me away. Like when you just focus on her. So let's get into it. <clears throat> Mary Hatch is a young girl growing up in the idyllic town of Bedford Falls, which, fun fact, is based off, or many people believe, it's based off of Seneca Falls. Oh! Of <laughs> feminism fame. Of feminism? <laughs> of the Seneca Falls convention? <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so, yeah, that's a fun fact. Um, when we first meet her, she is maybe 10 years old, and she is sitting in a soda shop fawning after her older brother's friend, George Bailey. Who can relate? Um, George is discussing <laughs> Literally his Literally everyone in this room. <laughs> George Bailey is discussing his plans. He's like 12 years old. He's going to be a great explorer, like a National Geographic. He's going to travel the world. But it's clear that Mary would be thrilled if George stayed in Bedford Falls and married her. She even whispers into his left ear, and this is important, he can't hear in this ear, George Bailey, I'll love you till the day I die. (laughs) It's so cute. Same, George. Same. Same. Of course, he doesn't hear her, so he doesn't know that Mary Bailey is sitting on the sidelines waiting for him. The next time George and Mary meet, it's at George's younger brother's big graduation school dance thing. George steals Mary away from her date. And so this guy opens up the gym floor to reveal the swimming pool underneath. Which is so cool. By the so way. cool. Uh, <laughs> and this results in Mary and George just dancing straight into the water during a jitterbug contest. And then still in wet clothes. And, or still wet and in clothes they borrowed from the school, <laughs> Mary and George walk home while singing the song Buffalo Gal. The Buffalo Gal, won't you come out tonight? It's such so an iconic song. So cute. <laughs> uh, this whole scene is so cute. What, what, kind of, what kind of person am I that I've never been in a jitterbug competition? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Where have I been all my life? What have I been doing, actually? <laughs> so... They stroll and they talk about the future. And although George wants to get out of Bedford Falls and Mary wants to stay and start a family, George is clearly enamored with her and promises her the moon. And she says, actually, my most favorite line, which is, I'll take it. (laughs) I love that line so much because she's like, you know what? Yeah, I do deserve the moon. Yeah, I'll take the fucking moon in the sky. Like, how Miss Piggy of her. her. (laughs) Then. They look at an old, dilapidated house, which is Mary's dream home. George thinks it's a piece of shit, and they throw rocks through the windows. (laughs) Classy. But then George gets the news that his father has died of a stroke, and his plans to leave the town are once again thwarted because he has to take over his father's building and loan business. A few years later, Mary is back in town after finishing college and working in New York for a little bit. 
So this is another thing I think people forget. She goes to college. She has a job in New York City, like in Manhattan for a couple years and then comes back to Bedford Falls, which I think is so cool. It is cool. And I I love like they're focusing on this storyline of like George Bailey mm-hmm. and like I'm going to take care of the family while you go do this and then we'll switch. Mm-hmm. But we're not looking at the fact that she's hoodwinked all of us and mm-hmm. went out and did her own thing. Like, she could potentially get a job. She does not have to no. stay at home. No, she doesn't. So, a few years later, Mary's back in town, as we said. George's younger brother, Harry, is also coming home from college. And this is George's big chance. He's like, Harry's going to come back. He's going to take over the building and loan. So that way I can go off and go to college and travel. This is all he fucking talks about. But his little brother gets this great opportunity. He marries this girl. And like, George is like, I can't let you give up this opportunity for me. So he lets his brother go. And Why doesn't George just give up again. the business? I'm, I know it's their financial. Well, <clears throat> it's just so frustrating to me. Well, honestly, looking back at the movie, it made total sense to me because, like, the building and loan is the only company in town that will give people who aren't super wealthy the chance to own a home. Like, he says that at one point. He's like, these are decent people. They should be able to live in a decent home, not slums. Right. Because they're like, you know, Potter, who is like the evil man in the whole story, is like, running slums in the same town and George Bailey is the only person who who will give these people loans to buy houses which I think is so beautiful especially like you know at a time when like the housing market right now in 2023 is a fucking mess and it would be really nice if there was a George Bailey in your hometown that would be like you know what I know you're good for their money I know that if you lost your job you would go out and find another one like I know that you want to pay this loan, so, like, I'm going to give it to you. Right. I don't know. Small town economics is definitely, like, romanticized a bit, but also, like, I think it's... Important. It's important, and the hardships of it are also shown. It's not totally romanticized. You know, it's, like, at the end of the bank run, which we'll talk about in a minute, he has $2. Right. For the whole bit. Like, the whole business has $2. Right. Unreal. So, anyways... George is distraught that his plans are thwarted once again. And his mother is like, well, go call on Mary Bale. You know, not Mary Bale, Mary Hatch. She's like, go call on Mary. She is expecting you. Like, go talk to her. her. (laughs) All I want is somebody to call on me. So George calls on her, but Mary is courting old friend Sam Wainwright. But of course, madly in love with George. And this is evident because she knows that he's coming because the mom gave her a heads up. And she's playing that you know, the record Buffalo Gals and displaying a drawing that I'm guessing she made of George lassoing the moon. And it is the cutest thing I've ever seen <laughs> really in my is life. cute. But while they're there, it's like George is frustrated because he's mad at his entire situation. And he kind of takes it out on Mary, which he does throughout the whole film. You know, and he tells Mary, he's like, what don't you get? I'm never getting married. I'm leaving this town. Like, why don't you understand that? But of course... In the process, he gives in to his love for her because he does love her, you know, but it's just like he's so frustrated by his general situation. Um, and they kiss while Sam w- Wainwright is like on the phone, which is so crazy. <laughs> and the mother is like really upset. <laughs> so the two finally get together and are married soon after. But while they're leaving for their honeymoon, 
with $2,000 to spend on a whirlwind trip. So this is like all the money that George has been saving. And do you want to, do you know how much that is in today's money? $2,000. Uh-huh. And what year are we talking? Before uh, the I bank did run. Like, I did like 1928. Okay. This is right before the stock market fell. Yeah. We're in positive finance. $2,000. $10,000. $35,000 in today's money. Fuck. I've never been on a trip worth $35,000. No. Are you kidding me? I That's know. a whole brand old car. Yeah. <laughs> but while they were literally in the car leaving town, there was a run on the bank, which of course affects the building and loan. So evil man Potter has newly, <laughs> you know, his newly acquired bank has called in the building and loans initial loan and depositors are clamoring to withdraw their funds because they're like if i don't get my money now it's not going to be here it won't exist yeah because it's paper it's money on paper Mm -hmm. so potter is a stockholder in the building and loan and so he's like i have the power to shut this down if you close early today so everybody is absolutely panicking and mary stands up after she was told to sit in the car she does not she comes into the building (laughs) she stands up with the two thousand dollars so the thirty five thousand dollars they were going to spend on their honeymoon and she goes i can help everyone right now how much money do you need i'll give it to you right now i have two thousand dollars in my hand so the customers of the bank ask for whatever money they need it's like usually around like 15 to 20 dollars to get them by just keeping them afloat while they figure everything out she saves the day and the town from financial ruin. Because she's selfless and perfect mm-hmm. and, and can then, do math in her head. <laughs> and then George's friend, uh, friends, Bert the cop and cab driver Ernie, escort him to his new home. Because at the end of the bank run, they have $2, <laughs> as I said earlier. And someone's like, oh, yeah, and you got married today. He goes, fuck, I got married today. He's <laughs> like, where's Mary? <laughs> So they're like, well, we're going to take you to her. So he goes home and he's like, we don't have a home. And they're like, yeah, it's the fucking derelict mansion, which is the old Granville house. He walks in and Mary has it set up as their honeymoon suite and their future home, complete with posters of all the places George wishes to go. Just covering the drafty rain soaked windows. I want to tell you right now, (laughs) has anybody... Everybody in the world listening to this, have you ever met a man that would do something like this? Mm-mm. There is not. I mean, producer wouldn't have an inkling no. that this is something I would like, a romantic gesture of that nature. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I mean, she literally has two, like, chickens roasting on a spigot in the open fire connected to the record player. It's genius, number one. She should be an engineer. Um <laughs> Why are women so good at romance, but we're not in charge of romance? I don't know. Somebody make me in it's charge. Frustrating. Let me kick Cupid's teeth out. It's frustrating. So I know he's a baby. <laughs> and it's just, but it's this beautiful moment where like, she's like, I know that like, we didn't go to go to these places like we had planned on, but like, we can still be together here and be happy. While also acknowledging that like, he did want to, I don't know. I think it's a beautiful moment where she's not like, Yes, settle for this. She's like, I know your dreams. I'm acknowledging them. But like also like we can have separate dreams here and you can still keep those. Anyways, over the next few years, Mary and George have four kids. P. 
Pete, Janie, Tommy, and Zuzu. They build Bailey Park. This is a housing development that offers people nice, affordable housing to combat Potter's slums. It's like this really gorgeous place where, like, you can really build, like, you can buy a starter home for not that much money. And I just, I love the idea of it. Um, and then the war comes, and George and Mary both do their part to help with the war effort while fixing up their old house. And he can't go because he's deaf in one ear, right? He's deaf in one ear, so he can't serve in the war. So he also feels like less of a man because he's like the air marshal in their small town. And he's like, turn off your lights. Like, there's an air raid tire. And like, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, it's another thing that like makes George feel bad. But also it is an important job to like take care of your hometown while like all these other people are off at war. And like, but I, you can tell in the movie that he feels shitty about it. You well, know, I mean, toxic masculinity was yes. all the rage back then. Still is. Some <laughs> <might> argue. Um, <laughs> Most would argue, I would say. Mm-hmm. And that is like toxic max- masculinity is like a running theme in this movie of like George never feels like he is enough. Well, that's why he gets like bopped in the ear in the first place, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, well, he gets the ear thing from um, going in the river to save his brother's life. Because he got an ear infection from that. And then the chemist, the guy who he saves from poisoning a kid, uh, the you know drugstore owner, yeah. he hits him in the ear and it's bleeding. bleeding. But sure. that's not what caused him to go deaf. It was the ear infection. From oh, interesting. The, I always picture the hit. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and I would also like to point out that they're fixing up this whole house. But what we see is George coming home from work exhausted because he is working all day, like late into the night. And Mary is at home putting up wallpaper, painting the ceilings. She is fixing this house up. And I love that fact because she is just doing the work because she really believes in this vision. But then in 1945, when George's uncle misplaces an $8,000 deposit, which is $137,000 in today's money, George faces bankruptcy and a criminal charge of embezzlement. Those are the stakes. He comes home. He's distraught. He yells at Mary, yells at the kids. He is not okay, and he just leaves. He gets drunk. He crashes his car into a tree and contemplates suicide. Because, as Potter tells him, you're worth more than dead, more dead than alive. Because life insurance. His life insurance would pay out $15,000, and they need $8,000 to save the building on loan. So guardian angel Clarence shows him what life would be like if he had never been born, showing him the impact he has on his community. And this alternate reality, it's called Pottersville, and there are, you know, burlesque shows and nightclubs and, you know, all these, like, you know, just, like, not family-oriented businesses. Sounds fun, though. (laughs) On the main street, sounds like a blast. Sounds like like, I'd love to be there. But it'd be like if... old Ellicott City was turned into, like, the Las Vegas Strip. You'd be like, okay, this is different than what it was. Um, And some people are really seeing hard times. And, unfortunately, they made Mary's nightmare scenario being a single librarian, or as they put it, a spinster. You mean a dream come true? You mean my sister's life? (laughs) They're like, she never married. And George is like, 
<laughs> she's like wearing glasses and just walking over to the library minding her business wouldn't his nightmare be that she was like happily married to like a bazillionaire no because mary can't be happy <laughs> damn it but also it's like i don't know i think she probably could be happy being a librarian um anyways just such a bold choice <laughs> which we'll, t- we'll talk about um but in the real world mary is doing something extraordinary when george comes home from his experience and you know he's back in the real world he's overjoyed to be alive and to have a wife and to have a kids he have a kids have kids he discovers that mary has single-handedly rallied his friends together to replace the missing money. They pour into the house with cash, happy to help out George, who has done so much for all of them. And I also, like, I forgot that in the beginning of the movie, it starts out with people praying for George Bailey, which I think is so sweet. It is really sweet. I don't know. I just think it's like a really nice thing because like everyone is so worried about him when he's like really fucking lost it. Well, it's when, I don't know. when somebody's done good for a town for so long and they're a constant like force of good, even if they're not positive, I think George Bailey was a constant force of good. Yeah. Um, when he loses it and he can't do it anymore, it's like, well, if he can't do it, can we actually do it? Right. And I think people do rally around that. Like, wait, we have to make sure that George can do it. Yeah, absolutely. So anyways, It's a Wonderful Life came out in theaters in 1946. It was produced and directed by Frank Capra, and it is based on the short story and booklet, The Greatest Gift. Self-published by Philip Van Doren Stern in 1943. Um, and apparently the story goes, like, he, like, sent it out as a Christmas card. And it was, like, really moving to people. <laughs> um, and this is loosely based on the 1843 Charles Dickens novella, A Christmas Carol. Full circle. You got to get that ghost to show you, you the past, present, see the and past. yet to come. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. It's, like, it really is the, like yet to come kind of thing it's like do you know what could happen if like you don't change your ways and if like you see don't the impor- exist like, what's important yeah um it did not do well at the box office on its initial release it was largely considered a flop but has since been labeled not only a christmas classic but one of the greatest american films ever made yeah and i would like to personally give some credit to mary bailey's character and the excellent portrayal by donna reed Many women were up for this role, including the legendary Ginger Rogers. But Donna won the role because she could accurately throw a stone to break a window. So she actually did that. Wow. And this was a skill she acquired playing baseball with her brothers on their Iowa farm. Donna! Great news. Great news. Donna Reed would later state that It's a Wonderful Life was her favorite film of her career. She also said it was the most difficult film I ever did. No director ever demanded as much of me, but I think it paid off. Mary is a classic woman of her generation. Traditional in many ways, but stronger and more independent than we ever give her credit for. I was shocked by her character in this movie when I watched it. She goes for what she wants. She doesn't force her will, but she does get shit done. 
and she also knows what's best for George even when he doesn't see it. He sees an old house full of problems, and she sees where their children will open presents from Santa. And she just fucking makes it happen. I mean, we see her. She's wearing pants, and she has a little baseball hat on, and she's literally fixing up the house herself while taking care of four children. And when George is being emotional and, you know, mean, she loves him anyways. I think it's easy to look at George in his worst moments and say that Mary shouldn't be with him. She doesn't deserve him. Like, he doesn't talk to her right. And, like, of course, yes, it's easy to say that. But, like, she sees past it because, like, she sees that he is much more than his worst moments, which I think is important. Obviously, like, if it's a pattern, <laughs> like, it's a constantly abusive relationship, right. you don't have to do that. But, like, like I don't want anyone to s- just stay because – Mary Bailey stayed because I don't but she's like this isn't who he is this isn't who he wants to be like you know what I'm saying like sure yeah um and many people point out in the alternate reality that Mary is one character who who is actually fundamentally unchanged so many of the people in town including you know George's mom Ma Bailey have turned cruel and angry and they're ready to fight but Mary is just a woman living her life. And even though the filmmaker regretted making Mary's uh, second life just being a spinster librarian, I actually think it makes a good point. Because even if George wasn't there, she still didn't choose Sam Wainwright. Because Mary does what she wants. And marrying Sam Wainwright was never what she wanted. No, she said she'd love him forever. Yeah, so I actually kind of love this choice for her because Mary... It gives her a sense of agency that I think a lot of women didn't have at the time. And, like, mm. I think a lot of people take it, me including when I watched it, of, like, oh, how sad if this one man wasn't alive. She'd be a spinster. <laughs> but I took it, like, really reflecting on it. I was like, well, maybe we should see this as a positive choice for Mary. And that, like, she's not going to do something she doesn't want to do. So, like, Mary is like an attractive young woman in this small town with very few men. <laughs> like she would have like found a husband for sure. Sam Wainwright totally would have married her. And like in this alternative reality, she's like, I'm not ever, I'm not ever head over heels in love with him. So I'm not going to fucking do it. Right. So I actually like, I kind of agree with the choice now that I think about it from that perspective. Yeah. <laughs> I th- I think it's a nice way to portray it, I don't think I would have stumbled upon that unless I really sat down and, like, meditated on the film. Right. Because you're, my first gut reaction is, like, wow, wow. spinster's the worst thing that can happen to a woman. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's but, just like, do-do-do, yeah. I'm a librarian. <laughs> um, and I also, like, I love that Mary is also seen, like, at the building of Bailey Park, and she's, like, an integral part of the business. And, like, I don't know, like, Mary does a lot more in the movie than, like, we really remember. And I think she's a person who exemplifies the thing that we talk about a lot when it comes to the holidays. She makes magic in her home and makes it seem easy. We know that holidays would not be the way that they are without women. On average, women spend five more hours than men getting prepared for the big day. Five. (laughs) (laughs) That seems grossly under. I just want to be like, a day? Like, five a day? (laughs) I think five a day. Yeah. On top of that, they tend to buy twice as many gifts and spend (laughs) twice as much. 
And this stands for women who work in the home taking care of the family and outside of it, too. So I don't want people to be like, well, yeah, they're home all day. Of course they're doing like, no, this is women like all <laughs> holiday. Holiday is is female responsibility. Yes. The holiday magic. Um, Mary Bailey is a doer. She is a believer. She is a magic maker. And she is considered by many, including myself, to be the hero of the story. Because she's the one who sees the solution when George is distraught and cannot see through his grief. Absolutely. And I think that that is such an important part of the story. And I think that a lot of women of that era, like, I do think a lot about my grandmother. And, like, my grandmother grew up on a farm doing, being, like, really independent and then, like, got married and was stuck in a townhome and she literally was hospitalized for having a panic attack because she was like this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing you know what I'm saying and like I feel like because everything was kind of like it's like my grandfather thought he was doing a good thing for her by being like yeah this is it you don't have to do anything now from the farm yeah you're free from the farm you can just like be a mom and like do this and she's like I need more than that you know and like I just I love that Mary Bailey is this spokesperson for this generation of women that are seen as this, like, I don't know, this fossilized version. And, like, they were doing so much and accomplished so much in a very different world than our own. And I just, I don't know. Well, I think I there's this classic image of Mary standing by the knoll posts, like holding a kid like on the step. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's how you envision her. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You don't envision her in the baseball cap painting. Mm-hmm. You don't envision her being like, I have all the money that everybody needs in this whole town and like mm-hmm. handing it out. Like yeah. you picture her as the stoic, benevolent housewife. And she isn't. No, she's not. She's so much more. And also, I... Watching the movie, I was like, wow, I am not loving in the type of way that I would like to. Mm. Because everybody has their bad moments, myself included. Like, when I am in a bad mood, like, I am, like, not as nice as I would like to be. Like, you know, there's a lot of ways that people can interpret this. But, like, you know, I'm just not my best self. And, like, sure. I have, like, wa- rewatching it, I was like, wow, like, Mary sees that George is in a rough spot. So instead of being like mad at him and being like, you should be able to handle this better. She's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do something to fix the situation. Right. Like, because he literally can't. And like, and this is obviously like very personal. for me. Um, so like not everybody has to read this way into the story, but like, yeah, this was, um, an interesting read for me. And so, yeah, she has inspired me to love, in a better, less judgmental way. I love that. <laughs> Mary Bailey bringing Christmas to the world one movie watch at a time. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. Thank you, Mary. Uh, and thank you all for listening. We hope you're having a great holiday, whatever you're celebrating this December. Um, we hope you're watching fun movies and just having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> And we also hope you never forget that uh, well-behaved women don't lather themselves in baby oil and become a weird ghost baby. <laughs> you have to listen to the last episode <laughs> yeah. to get that one. <laughs> That's last week's baby oil, baby. 
goodbye. And they rarely make history. Right. They rarely make history. <laughs> right, 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 right. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.